to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokens and non-toking lover of liberty. It is Tuesday, March 7th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 902, and coming up on today's show, in the news, smoked medical marijuana is saved by the Arkansas Senate. In our cannabis focus, we've got a petition to end federal marijuana prohibition to tell you about. In our data mining, we learn that most Colorado tokers drive after toking. Our guest today is attorney Kirk Tussaw on Canadian legalization. And in the radical rant, Senator Rob Portman gives away the anti-marijuana legalization game plan, link it to the heroin epidemic. Then in hour two, PolitiFact crushes Carter cannabis cancer cure claims and Roger Stone steers Donald Trump away from a cannabis crackdown. That's all coming up today on the Russ Belville Show. But first, let's get to the cannabis headline news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, March 7th, 2017. The Arkansas State Senate voted down a move to ban the smoking of medical marijuana Monday, but the sponsor is promising to bring it up again. Medical marijuana legislation is one of the major focuses on the state legislature. Monday's vote is a defeat for those wanting to make drastic changes to the amendment approved by voters in November. The bill in question would have barred smoking of medical marijuana by those approved to use the drug by their doctor. But it would have allowed other forms of use like vaporizing. It was filed by Republican State Senator Jason Rapert, who has been a strong opponent of the medical marijuana program. Senator Rapert argues that smoking causes health problems and cannot be considered medicine. State Senator Jeremy Hutchinson says he agrees that smoking is harmful, but says voters knew that when they approved it, saying, quote, The people have spoken, they asked us to implement their will, and to do otherwise would be disingenuous to the voters of the state, end quote. The vote showed 10 in favor and 15 against banning smoking of the drug, with several legislators refusing to pick a side. Rob Patrich, chair of the Oregon Liquor Control Commission, submitted his resignation to Oregon Governor Kate Brown yesterday. Patrich is leaving the OLCC to take a position doing public sector consulting with a private sector firm. Patrich's resignation from the commission is effective March 12, 2017. Former Governor John Kitzhaber appointed Patrich to the OLCC in October 2012 and appointed him chair of the commission in July 2013. Patridge was instrumental in guiding the OLCC during a period of increased consumer interest in craft adult beverages and translated that interest into policies and actions to reinvent the agency and its interaction with the community and the public. After the November 2014 passage of Measure 91, which legalized recreational marijuana in Oregon, Patridge sharpened the OLCC's focus to create a roundly supported system to regulate the cannabis industry. Measure 91 specified that the recreational use of marijuana be based on regulation and taxation, determined by the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. 
Philippine lower house lawmakers overwhelmingly approved the reimposition of capital punishment for serious drug offenses on Tuesday, clearing another hurdle in President Rodrigo Duterte's drive to use death as a deterrent against crime. Voting 216 to 54 with one abstention, lawmakers passed the third and final reading of the bill to bring back the death penalty. But in a watered-down draft that excludes crimes like rape, kidnap for ransom, and plunder. The bill, which permits death by hanging, firing squad, and lethal injection, must now go to the Senate. A return of the death penalty, over a decade after it was abolished under pressure from the church, has been a top priority for Duterte, who was swept to power on promises of a merciless war on drugs and crime. More than 8,000 people have been killed since Duterte took office eight months ago, mostly drug users killed by mysterious gunmen in incidents authorities attribute to vigilantes, gang members silencing informants, or unrelated murders. Two federally regulated Canadian medical marijuana companies caught up in a tainted cannabis scare are facing proposed class action lawsuits from patients who unknowingly ingested banned pesticides. Metrum Limited and Organogram Incorporated were both found selling medical marijuana that contained unauthorized chemicals, including the controversial pesticide myclobutanil, which produces hydrogen cyanide when combusted and can lead to serious health problems. The suit against Organogram was filed in Nova Scotia Supreme Court on Monday. The Organogram suit is led by Halifax patient Don Ray Downton. After taking the product daily, quote, Miss Downton began to suffer from severe nausea and vomiting, end quote, according to the suit. The Metrum suit is led by Erin Christensen, a Thunder Bay woman who unknowingly ingested tainted product. Saturday afternoon, the New Mexico State House voted 41 to 26 to pass House Bill 155 to establish a fund in the state treasury for research related to the production, uses, effects, and efficacy of medical marijuana. The bill also establishes protections from state-level prosecution and criminal liability for researchers, similar to protections that already exist for medical cannabis patients, producers, and medical providers. The proposed legislation does not create an appropriation or cost the state money, but creates a placeholder fund that the legislature or Department of Health could choose to direct funds toward in the future. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, March 7, 2017. I'm Russ Belleville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. The marijuana can mess you up. Right. We've been getting high for what? 15 years? Nothing's ever happened. Did I get into all the drugs and start mugging people? Nah. Didn't do anything. In fact, I'd say I'm exactly the same as when I smoked my first joint. Eddie, did you even look for a job today? No, Ma. Marijuana can make nothing happen to you, too. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day, exclusively on RadicalRust.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. You're listening to Radical Russ. 
on the Russ Belleville Show. July 1st, 2015, adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon. Immediately, over 400,000 adults who consume cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals. This is what freedom sounds like. Brought to you by Portland Normal. Cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Focus, I hope you'll get behind me and my co-petitioner, Rebecca Lee, who is a children's rights activist. The two of us are sponsoring a petition on Change.org entitled, Tell Congress to Let States Decide Their Own Marijuana Policies. We, the people, call on the United States Congress to pass the Ending Federal Marijuana Prohibition Act of 2017 to establish the power of states to set their own marijuana policies. This act was just submitted by Congressman Thomas Garrett, a Republican from Virginia. He needs our support in order to protect the families, patients, and businesses that are acting within the legal bounds of their respective states. Without passage of this act, Thousands of these Americans' lives are threatened by potential federal prosecution. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has recently indicated that the Justice Department reserves the right to enforce federal law in states that have legalized recreational or medical marijuana possession, cultivation, and sales. In three successive elections, voters in eight U.S. states have decided to end their prohibition on the adult use of marijuana. Since 1996, 28 states have decided to allow the use of marijuana to treat certain medical conditions. Since 2014, another 16 states have added laws allowing the use of non-psychoactive cannabidiol, a constituent of marijuana, to treat childhood epilepsy and other conditions. However, federal law still treats all use of marijuana as a crime, regardless of state law. That frustrates the states that have moved forward with marijuana regulations. Federal marijuana prohibition impacts issues related to banking, taxation, insurance, and other areas that states alone cannot regulate. Additionally, millions in revenue from the taxation of marijuana is being used to bolster previously underfunded state programs, such as public education and drug treatment. Those programs will find their funding threatened if we don't act now to change federal law to recognize state marijuana laws. It's time the federal government respect the right of states to decide their own marijuana policies. The American people agree. A February Quinnipiac poll showed that 71% of voters, including a majority of Republicans, oppose the federal government's interference with people and businesses acting in accordance with their state marijuana laws. Signing this petition will show that poll is no fluke. And the people are taking action. 
Past presidents and court opinions have suggested that the Congress must act to change federal law to truly restore the state's rights to regulate or prohibit marijuana. Now, Congressman Garrett has stepped forward to do just that by introducing the ending Federal Marijuana Prohibition Act of 2017, and now he needs our support. This act is very simple in its design. It merely removes marijuana from the Federal Controlled Substances Act. It would not cause marijuana to be legalized anywhere it is currently illegal, as state laws that ban marijuana would not be affected. The act keeps the ban on interstate trafficking of marijuana to places where it remains illegal. But while 7 in 10 Americans support this common-sense reform, getting it passed in the Republican-controlled Congress will be difficult. It has been referred to committees in the House, chaired by Representative Greg Walden, Republican of Oregon, and Representative Bob Goodlatte, Republican of Virginia, both ardent opponents of marijuana legalization. So please sign our petition to demand Congress restore power to the states to set their own marijuana policies, free from federal interference. We need to show these committee chairs and the rest of Congress that there is a groundswell of support for respecting states' rights on this matter. I'm originally an Idahoan, and even the Idaho Senate, a Republican-dominated body that voted overwhelmingly in 2013 to reject marijuana legalization, also voted to reject federal interference with state marijuana laws in neighboring Washington. If support for marijuana states' rights didn't hurt the careers of Idaho's state Republican senators, then congressional Republicans have nothing to fear in supporting the ending Federal Marijuana Prohibition Act of 2017. So that's the uh, text from the petition. You can find this at change.org. Uh, the title of the petition is Tell Congress to Let States Decide Their Own Marijuana Policies. And we're passing this through uh, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all of the different social networks that are available, uh, myself and my co-petitioner, Rebecca Lee. And uh, last I looked, there was about 250 signatures, so it's doing quite well. I've written it up today for my High Times Radical Rant column. I also have a blurb on it at weednews.co. If you check the weednews.co story, I've included a map that shows which states have medical, recreational, or cannabidiol laws and included some uh, pie charts on the most recent Quinnipiac poll, which showed 59% of the American people support marijuana legalization. 93% of the American people support medical use of cannabis and 71% of the people, including 55% of Republicans support the idea that the feds ought to butt out, that we ought to let the states move forward with their own marijuana laws. And this is something that is a way that the Republicans, if they really take a look at this from a political point of view, could score some major points with some uh, constituents, potential voters, that they might not always uh, have in their back pocket, so to speak. As we look at the figures for marijuana uh, enforcement, when it comes down to recreational marijuana, we know how it uh, skews toward arresting the young and arresting minorities. So with this, with this ending uh, Federal Marijuana Prohibition Act of 2017, which, by the way, uh, is H.R. 1227, H.R. 1227. And I've also given you a quick link to be able to get to that uh, through my Rad Russ quick link service. 
The address is rad-r.us, R-A-D-R.us, slash yes, HR1227. And that's all lowercase, rad-r.us, slash yes, HR1227. And if you go to the weednews.co site, not only is there a map that you can spread around through your social media, because a lot of times these things uh, get shared better if you have some sort of graphic or picture to go with them. But uh, in addition, it's got links to uh, Representative Greg Walden and Representative Bob Goodlatte, so you can contact them directly in addition to the petition, if you so choose. But uh, politically, this is the time. This is the time that uh, Republicans could should, I should jump on this issue now that it this used to be uh this hr 1227 that's being proposed by a virginia republican in the last congress was proposed by senator bernie sanders now now that an independent democratic socialist presidential candidate has passed the baton to a virginia republican the republican controlled congress has no excuse to stonewall the progress of this bill I mean, it's got broad bipartisan support in the Congress and among the people. That Quinnipiac poll shows it. And and look, the existence of 44 of the 50 U.S. states that have marijuana laws running counter to the Federal Controlled Substances Act is, as President Obama told Rolling Stone, quote, a patchwork of laws, end quote, that is, quote, untenable over the long term, end quote. And on the other side, President Trump told KUSA in Colorado when he was running for office, quote, I think it should be up to the states, absolutely, end quote, with respect to recreational cannabis. With many contentious issues to be heard in this 115th Congress, from immigration reform to health care improvement, Muslim bans, a budget crises, claims that the pre- last president was wiretapping people. I mean, it's some crazy political season out there. If the Republicans got smart and passed H.R. 1227, it would take the issue of marijuana off the table. And not just for the states that are allowing marijuana use by their citizens, but for the congressmen themselves, for the House and the Senate, in not having to deal with the banking, taxation, research, and all these other issues that will be cleared up immediately once marijuana is not federally prohibited. And this Republican House, by passing H.R. 1227, wouldn't just clear their agenda of any politically risky debates over a publicly popular marijuana issue. Perhaps they would attract more libertarian-minded millennials and disproportionately policed minorities, people that might be thankful that one of the political parties finally struck a serious blow to begin ending the war on drugs. Maybe that might neuter marijuana policy as an issue with any partisan effect and perhaps attract more younger and more minority voters to the Republican Party. This could be the way that the Republican Party steals the marijuana legalization issue right out from under the Democrats who've paid lip service for years but have always been too timid to move forward and actually do something to make a change here when they had the power. So help us sign this petition and pass it on to your friends, share it through your social media, help us build this groundswell of support to show Representative Goodlatte and Representative Walden that they have nothing to fear and everything to gain 
by adhering to their party's principles on states' rights when it comes to marijuana policy. Rad-R.US slash yes HR one two two seven. Maybe I do, and maybe I do. <laughs> All right, that sound means that it's twenty after four twenty in the Mountain Time Zone. Happy 420, Colorado, and all the rest of y'all in the Rocky Mountains. We're going to take our union-mandated safety break, and uh, when we return, some drug war data mining right out of Colorado on risky driving behaviors. Uh-oh, people are smoking pot again. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong show. All right. Maybe you're high, too. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim you. Say that. What is your major malfunction, numbnut? A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the data mining, we're taking a look at the Colorado Department of Transportation, which has just recently released the results of its 2016 mail survey about driving behaviors. And I'm looking particularly at the, uh, let's see, page 27, where they have alcohol, marijuana, and prescription medications. And here's what they found. In 2016, 56% of respondents had consumed alcohol in the month prior to completing the survey, 11% had consumed marijuana, and 4% had used prescription medications that could impair their driving. So basically, in the past month, 56% drank, 11% smoked pot, 4% used prescription medications that are impairing. An interesting thing to note about this is the decline from the 2015 survey. In the 2015 survey, they had 50, or they had 60% that had drank in the past month, 16% who had consumed marijuana, 11% that had used prescription medications. So, uh, a drop in five points of how many people are consuming marijuana on a 30 day basis, at least according to this survey, despite the uh, protests from the, uh, prohibitionists that, uh, tell us that this legalization is going to lead to far more people using. But the important part of this survey having to do with the driving behaviors asked if people had used their substance and then within two hours driven. 
and fully a quarter of the people who drank alcoholic beverages, actually not quite fully, it's 24% of the people who had drank alcoholic beverages drove within two hours. Of the marijuana smokers, 7% drove a motor vehicle within two hours after consuming marijuana. Seven. One out of 15 people virtually, as compared to one out of four. Now, when they uh, asked for some more detail about how many times a month did people use their particular substances, they did find a great difference. For the people who drank alcoholic beverages, 44% of them, I'm sorry, sorry, for all substance use, people who drank alcoholic beverages, 29% uh, were using six days or more in the 30 days. And for marijuana, 7% uh, were used, were, uh, I'm sorry, 29% of all respondents were drinkers who drank six days or more a month. 7% of the marijuana respond, of the respondents had used marijuana six days or more per month. And they further broke this down to try to figure an average number of days for substance use. And they found that for the drinkers, the average number of days for the last 30. And and this is where they're talking about the 30-day drinkers, people who had drank in the past month. A monthly drinker drinks about 9 days a month. That was the that was the average days. And the median was 6. Maximum of course 30, someone who would drink every day. For the marijuana consumers, monthly marijuana consumers, the average out of the last 30 days was 16 days. So the average monthly marijuana consumer is damn near a daily marijuana consumer. The median was 15. So again, we could we could pretty reliably say that about half of monthly marijuana users in Colorado here are daily or near daily, near daily marijuana users. Now, the concern for this coming from the uh the people at Colorado Department of Transportation is this fear of people uh smoking and driving and this concern that of the people that smoke marijuana, many of them then get behind the wheel within two hours. And my fear in this respect is that we are going to see a shift. There is such a political demand for some sort of magic test that the law enforcement can use similar to an alcohol breathalyzer to determine whether or not a driver is too stoned to drive. And we know, of course, through many times talking about it on this show, that there is no reliable chemical indicator that someone's too stoned to drive. But the most recent breathalyzers can pin someone's marijuana use to within the past two hours, at least smoked marijuana. I fear that what's going to happen is there's going to be a redefinition of what driving under the influence is to be driving while you're irresponsible, to be that you smoked marijuana and then got behind the wheel within two hours, whether you're impaired or not, that was irresponsible and something that you need to be punished for. That is a concern of mine because then we're moving away from the idea of impairment determining our guilt to our lack of time, lack of a a, a significant buffer period being what determines our guilt. They also asked uh, people about... uh, Various statements, they asked, I can drive safely under the influence of alcohol. 74% of respondents strongly disagreed with that. I can drive safely under the influence of marijuana. 
Also, 74% of the respondents disagreed. So three out of four people using either alcohol or marijuana agree that they can't drive safely under the influence. But when you ask them, when you look at the other side, those that believe that strongly agree, this was, by the way, the 74% were strongly disagrees. The strongly agree for alcohol is 1%. The strongly agree for marijuana is 5%. And that is reflected in this question. It is safer driving under the influence of marijuana than under the influence of alcohol. 12% strongly agreed with that. Another 18% somewhat agreed for a total of 30% who agreed it was safer to drive under the influence of marijuana than to drive under the influence of alcohol. 70% disagree. This is information from the Colorado Department of Transportation. It's their 2016 mail survey about driving behaviors. We'll take another deep look at this on tomorrow's show. When we come back, a replay of my live interview in British Columbia with Canadian attorney and marijuana expert, Kirk Tussaw. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Hey, man. Am I driving okay? A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Marijuana legalization is just the beginning of a process of restoring our natural rights to the cannabis plant. Join us now as we learn more about the rules, regulations, and court decisions that are shaping the landscape of legal marijuana in this edition of Pot Public Policy. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are live here from Vancouver, British Columbia, as we're winding up the... International Cannabis Business Conference. Uh, it's been a great show. Uh, today's keynote, Brendan Kennedy from uh, uh, Privateer Holdings uh, delivered that. We'll uh, get that for you on our SoundCloud page uh, sometime later this weekend. But joining me here at the desk, a good friend of the show and uh, one of the leading attorneys in the nation of Canada, Kirk Tussaw is here with us. How you doing, Kirk? I'm doing great, Russ. Thanks for having me on. And uh, what are your feelings about this uh, this conference? Any uh, interesting things you've picked up or, or controversies we can dish on? Yeah, you know, it's been a really great event. And the ICBC, I think, does a fantastic job. And it's been a privilege for me to participate. Um, I, I think it's hit the right note of a blend between sort of socially conscious uh, activism and uh, and business uh, two 
areas of the cannabis world that, as you know, are often in conflict, and the, the there seems to be a, a significant chunk of the cannabis reform movement uh, that really doesn't like the business-oriented aspect of things, and there's a chunk of the business world that sort of looks at the the the, the, the pioneers and the innovators and the activists as sort of part of the so-called 420 crowd and yeah. not something they want associated with their you know now mainstream products. This conference, I think, did not feature much of that that sort of uh, clashes or those sort of conflicts. Brendan Kennedy, who you mentioned just a moment ago, uh, of course, Privateer Holdings is the owner or funder of Tilray, which is a licensed producer here in Canada in the medical cannabis system. And Tilray's been a, a real focal point of controversy up here because their tactics have been perceived by many to be uh, more American in nature, more cutthroat, more slamming the competition, in this case, dispensaries. And, and I thought there were, you know, he, Brandon took questions, and I sort of shook my head and thought, well, if, if there's going to be that conflict, if there's going to be that sort of pot drama uh, unfolding at this conference, it's going to be now, because someone's going to get a hold of the mic, and they're going to let him have it over Tilray. And, and that didn't manifest, hmm. uh, you know. And, and, and the things that Brendan said, I thought, were very... Uh, positive in terms of uh, you know socially conscious investing, using brands to affect political change, uh, ensuring that there's a role for both big and small business in the new emergent legal industry, but not the new industry of cannabis because it's obviously quite an old Been industry. Been around here for a while. Um, so you know, I, I hopefully those kinds of positive relations yeah. can continue, and that and that a lot of bridges were built here over this uh, last couple of days. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, trying to keep. Uh, these corporations and, and capitalism focused on more socially conscious endeavors uh, is, is difficult. I mean, the, the, the general arc, I think, is away from that. And so it's going to be, I think, hard for cannabis uh, consumers and, and operators to maintain that uh, that direction. But, man, I got my fingers crossed on it. Here in Canada, of course, we've got uh, Health Canada and the, and the, and the medical system, uh, which I understand is by mail. Is that correct? You said something about dispensaries, though. So... How does that work? <laughs> well, um, you know, we've got two parallel systems. We've got the legal system regulated by Health Canada. The only lawful access to cannabis for medical purposes uh, on the commercial level is a, is a now called the ACMPR, the Access to Cannabis for Medical Purposes Regulation. It has a commercial aspect, and there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through to become a commercial producer and sell to patients directly. It has a personal and caregiver home production or, or personal production aspect that we had to fight in the courts to uh, to reestablish here in Canada. Uh, and, and fortunately, we were victorious in those court battles, and we have reestablished that system. And then we have this sort of outside the regulated sphere uh, dispensary model, which, you know, I live on Vancouver Island. It's, uh, it's not a very big place. Uh, and we've got 60 dispensaries on Vancouver Island. Wow. We've got a few hundred in Vancouver, in, in British Columbia. We've got probably a thousand in the country. Every single one of these businesses is completely illegal. <laughs> uh, violating the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, breaking the law, laundering the proceeds of crime. But they are also the pioneers of the industry in many respects. At least the early dispensaries were. And so through battles in the courts, we've... We, and through battles in the, in, the, in the court of public opinion and through consumers now voting with their wallets and with their feet and going to these dispensaries, I think that there's been a, a change in the public's perception of how you can sell cannabis in a storefront and have the sky not fall. There's been a change in municipal 
government perspective of how to best get a handle on these businesses. And there's been a change in enforcement priority amongst the police forces of Canada where, you know, times are tough, you got limited resources. Do you want to spend them fighting real crime or do you want to spend them raiding dispensaries who are operating in your communities with the full support of your members of your community because they go there and shop. Yeah. You know, that's the part that we, we can't leave out of the equation. Every time you spend a dollar in a dispensary, you're voting for that method of access. So it's been really wild to see it all develop. It's going to continue to be wild up here. Um, a rough and rocky road for some, <laughs> a fascinating uh, road for others, and, and I don't think it's going to change anytime yeah. soon. Well, of course, the other side of it is uh, federal marijuana legalization, something that uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party campaigned on, which I've understood lately has kind of been a bit of foot dragging. And the other piece of news I picked up was uh, one of the health ministers saying the minimum age ought to be 25, and other people saying it ought to match Canada's 19-year-old drinking age. Yeah. It's, you know, we are moving towards legalization. The prime minister's promised to introduce legislation in the spring. Uh, we've had a process where the task force has been going around Canada for the last couple months talking to people about how best to legalize. Not whether to legalize, but how best to legalize. And we'd be you know, only the second country in the world to have a federal legalization uh, uh, system in place. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of people are watching. And so the government wants to get it right, and they're taking their time. I don't blame them for that. I think it's too important to, to rush. We could make better progress. And we could move more quickly in the area of stop arresting people for simple possession, stop prosecuting medical cannabis dispensaries. Let's get out of the business of continuing the victims of prohibition, their criminalization. That's something we could do in the short term. And I think the government should be criticized for not doing that. But in terms of, you know, getting the system right, it's going to take some time. I don't expect cannabis to be legalized in Canada until sometime in probably early 2018. Um, As for this... I mean, 25 years of age. Look, <laughs> everyone knows the demographic that most consumes cannabis is under 25. 18 to 25, I mean, That's yeah. right. So you, <laughs> you, you begin to age out after a while. That's probably going to change with legalization and normalization. At least I hope it does. Um, but I, this, this is an idea floated mostly by special interest groups that are trying to do whatever they can to preserve the last vestiges of prohibition. I have no doubt that the age for purchasing cannabis in a store is going to be the same as the age of majority in Canada, which is actually determined provincially. In most provinces, it's actually 19. Uh, in, in a couple of provinces, it's 18. That's why the drinking age in Quebec is 18 and not 19. Uh, there's no reason it would be any different for cannabis. And, in fact, I think if it were any different, you know, our, our charter protects us against discrimination on the basis of age in Section 15, and I think that's a classic discrimination lawsuit right there because if you're 24 years and 364 days old and you're a criminal for buying cannabis but then on your birthday you're not a criminal anymore you know that that's just sort of ridiculous yeah uh in in the states of course we got five states that are voting on legalization california prime among them and and i'm sure there's a lot of influence that this will have over canadian politics uh but our opponents, uh, the Kevin Sabets of the world, uh, their talking points lately, their reefer madness has been about the gummy bears and big marijuana as this corporate predator. Uh, is there a difference with Canadian reefer madness other than it being more polite? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, not fundamentally. They're, they, they still hear the same sort of tropes, right? And, and you know, I get it. The kids are concerned that, you know, someone's going to pick up a gummy bear and eat it. Uh, but, you know... 
what do they do when you go to the pharmacy and you get prescription narcotic drugs? They tell you, look, this could be dangerous. Store it safely. Well, that's all you need to do for cannabis. People are responsible. They tend to be responsible. There's no significant downside to accidental ingestion. No one's going to die from eating too many gummy bears. Uh, you know, but that said, a, a, a responsible business would also listen to the concerns of consumers and say, well, look, maybe there's a way that we can proactively assuage some of these concerns, either through packaging, through labeling, or through putting your product into, uh, into alternative forms of ingestion that maybe aren't attractive to children. I think it's much ado about nothing and, and a lot of reefer madness generally, but in an emergent legal regime... You know, as an industry, as a self-regulating industry heretofore, we, we need to be alive to this. We can't just poo-poo people's concerns, even when empirically they may not be justified. Because, you know, people people have these beliefs, and we can't pretend that they don't. Yeah, it's uh, perception is reality, and most people don't smoke pot. So we got to keep that in mind when we're trying to get the votes. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, it, the majority of people are not cannabis consumers. And they don't quite understand the nuances of some of these issues. And that's okay. Like, we, we have to continue to educate people. And we have to understand that the system we end up with tomorrow is not the system we'll have in 10 years. I, I, I was on a panel recently with uh, a lawyer that represents craft brewers of beer in British Columbia and another lawyer that represents the VQA, the, the Vintners Quality Association, self-regulating wine authority in British Columbia. And they're complaining about these ridiculous rules that government has saddled their industry with that stifles innovation, uh, imposes costs that don't need to be there. And, hey, I'm looking at these guys going, man, you guys got it good. Your products are legal. (laughs) You get to make them and sell them, and I can go across the street to my local vineyard and and have a glass of wine and a nice salad. Um, I really hope 100 years from now that cannabis folks are not beating their heads against the same brick walls. So it, it takes time. We're 100 years out alcohol prohibition, and the vestiges of it remain today in some of our archaic policies. So it's a, it's a journey. It's not yeah. a it's not a light switch. I, I'm right? glad I'm glad you mentioned the craft brewers, the vintners, because I think that speaks to this scare of big marijuana and the corporatization of weed. You know, I, I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you can find Budweiser, Coors, and Miller if yeah. you want to. Got to go looking hard though. But we've got craft brews uh, right across the street. A place I can fill a growler from forty different taps of local craft brews. I think that's going to apply to the, the the boutique growers as well here. In well, I think so. And it's driven by consumer demand, right? There, there's, Anheuser-Busch spends a billion dollars in North America just on advertising to create demand for their product and, and increase their market share. Because they have and, to. They, well, and lots of people <laughs> like that and, and drink that, but lots of people don't. Uh, and as long as the consumer has a variety of choices, I think that lots of people are going to gravitate towards the higher quality craft batches, craft products. Love Portland, one of my favorite cities in the world. For precisely that reason, I love beer. I love craft beer. I love being able to go to a, to a pub, neighborhood pub, a small business run by a family uh, that's selling, you know, eighteen types of sour beer. That's fantastic. And and the re- there's no reason we can't have that kind of economic activity, those kinds of uh, benefits to uh, lower middle class Canadians, entrepreneurs, and innovators right here in Canada. Uh, I just hope we I just hope we get it soon and get it right. 
Kirk Tussaud is a fabulous cannabis attorney here in uh, Canada and has uh, argued successfully at the Canadian Supreme Court. We appreciate your wisdom and uh, insight on this. Do you have any uh, contact information you'd like to give out if people want to reach you? Yeah, sure. If people want to keep up with what's going on uh, with me and with Canadian uh, policy reform, I'd urge them to look at my website, which is tussawlaw.ca, T-O-U-S-A-W-L-A-W.ca. I'm on Twitter at Kirk Tussaud, uh and at Tussaud Law. Uh, and, and keep in touch with Normal Canada as well, an organization that, I'm, that I happen to be a part of. And, uh, you know, uh, we need support. We need international support as we move towards legalization. We need people from outside of Canada telling the government of Canada, hey, listen to these guys. They've got the right ideas. Fantastic. Thank you, Kirk. And uh, stay tuned, folks. We'll be back to wrap things up here in Vancouver right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Dude, 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 dude. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy public number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheech and chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was the point. I think we've made a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Good people don't smoke marijuana. Today in the rant, I want to take a look at the possibility of marijuana laws being enforced at the federal level against the states that have recreational marijuana programs. It seems pretty clear that the uh, Trump administration is not going to be invoking their rights to run roughshod over the medical marijuana industries. Uh, they see the polls that show 93% public support, and they have uh, admitted that the uh, Rohrabacher Amendment uh, for the spending rider in the Congress, preventing Department of Justice from using their funds to go after medical marijuana, they, they have acknowledged that. They've acknowledged that that prevents them from going after the medical marijuana states. But they've continually been making these comments uh, through Sean Spicer, through Jeff Sessions, uh, these comments that 
are pretty vague when it comes to recreational marijuana. They have said that they're going to continue uh, using the Cole Memo, but they haven't. They've also mentioned that the Cole Memo may need to be evaluated, as in we've set up these priorities, we've set up these conditions, but we've never evaluated whether or not the states are following those conditions. So it's been very vague. It's been very difficult to determine uh, whether or not this is signaling uh, uh, keeping the status quo or moving ahead with some sort of newfound war on marijuana. If the administration is going to move forward uh, against the recreational marijuana states, it's going to have to build some sort of political and public support for doing so against the polls that are showing 71% of the people, including 55% of Republicans, don't want to see federal interference in these states. I believe that they are going to try to make clear a separation between medical and recreational and try to make it so that the people that are opposed to the federal interference are opposed to federal interference in medical marijuana and separate out cleave from the herd, if you will, the support for federal interference in recreational marijuana states. And the way I believe they're going to do this rhetorically speaking is by attempting to link legalization of marijuana to the rising epidemic of heroin and opiate overdoses in this country. That's the way I see they're going to do it. They're going to invoke the gateway theory. They're going to invoke the idea that allowing recreational marijuana use to occur is somehow going to lead people to heroin. And my evidence for this, the most recent piece of evidence, comes from remarks that were made during uh, the U.S. Senate hearings on opioid abuse. These took place yesterday, and Senator Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio, stood in front of the United States Senate and openly invoked the idea of the gateway theory as a as a condition that's leading to the heroin epidemic. A couple of weeks ago during the state work period, I held a roundtable discussion in Fremont, Ohio, where I met Matt Bell, who's the founder of something called Team Recovery. Matt is an amazing guy. He's a very charismatic, young guy. For him, the gateway drug was marijuana and alcohol in high school. He ended up overdosing on heroin three times. He was convicted of 13 felonies. He went to detox 28 times. Now he's clean and preventing new addictions from taking place by working nonstop to help raise awareness of the dangers of drug use. He goes around to schools. And he doesn't just talk to kids who are juniors and seniors, he talks to middle schoolers because he knows that he's got to go younger and younger to get kids to think about their own futures. The fact that this is one use sometimes, something that can ruin their lives. And thank That's Senator Rob Portman from Ohio invoking the gateway theory that this uh, young man, this Matt Bell, uh, ended up getting addicted to heroin, getting all these felonies, having so much trouble in his life. And as I heard those comments this morning, I thought to myself, wait a minute. You said that he started on the gateway of using marijuana and alcohol. Marijuana, a drug that's prohibited. Alcohol, a drug that's prohibited if you're under the age of 21. So both these drugs being illegal didn't seem to stop young Matt Bell from getting a hold of them, did they? Now, in the case of young Matt Bell getting himself some alcohol, 
it's likely that he found a straw purchaser, found somebody, an adult, somebody older, who could then go to the store and access and get a tested and reliable inspected product that wasn't moonshine, wasn't going to make him go blind or anything like that. Or maybe he's got a fake ID or found a clerk that wasn't so careful of checking the ID. But at least the alcohol that he ended up getting was something that we know has a reliability, has some safety to it, that's been inspected, been tested. And in the case of the marijuana that Mr. Bell might have gotten a a hold of, we can not guarantee that at all. We can't guarantee that the marijuana wasn't uh, made with uh, pesticides and fungicides, and we don't know what's going on with that. And I can bet you dollars to donuts that the way that Matt Bell found his hookup for heroin had to do with the people he knew he was getting marijuana or other drugs from because those markets are all combined in the illegality of drugs. Marijuana isn't the gateway to heroin. Marijuana is the gateway to the heroin dealers. Alcohol isn't that gateway because they don't sell heroin at the liquor store. Now, Senator Portman made another comment that uh, invokes a long-standing fear. We usually hear this one, some version of this one, around Halloween. But this time, he's linking it to the opioid epidemic. Senator Rob Portman from Ohio explaining how dealers are lacing marijuana with opiates now. What's driving the growth of this epidemic is the increasing use of fentanyl. Drug traffickers are lacing other drugs with it. I was told by the DART task force in Toledo that they're actually sprinkling fentanyl on marijuana now. And people are showing up in the emergency room and overdosing on marijuana because it's sprinkled with fentanyl. It's more addictive, so the traffickers like it. It's more deadly, so we need to fight back. In what world does this make any sense whatsoever? The idea that somebody that is selling marijuana on the underground market is going to spike it with fentanyl to increase its addictive qualities and thereby create a repeat customer for their marijuana ignores basic facts of marijuana use and basic understanding of economics. First of all, fentanyl, harder to get a hold of. More expensive. Why am I going to take the more expensive drug and then lace it into the less expensive drug and lose the money that I could have made just selling the fentanyl in the first place? Second of all, if I've got repeat customers that keep coming back to me for their marijuana and some of them start dropping dead from fentanyl overdoses, you can bet it's going to cause a dent in my repeat customer business. Why would I want to do that? You can't be saying that the drug is deadly and then try to explain to me why the dealers would put it in the least harmful drug. They know their customers are coming to get the marijuana because it's not harmful, because of the effect they're expecting from it, the relaxing. If they wanted opiates, if they wanted fentanyl, they'd go get the fentanyl. There is no credible evidence to suggest that there is Marijuana being spiked with fentanyl across the country or in the state of Ohio, as Senator Portman claims. But logic, facts, science, reason, that has nothing to do with this argument, folks. This is all about scaring the hell out of people. 
and getting people to disconnect their logical brain. As uh, author Jim Higdon was calling it today on uh, Twitter, it's about the fear. Oh, my God, the fear. Oh, my God, heroin. Heroin overdoses and people are legalizing marijuana. Oh, my God, the fear. And then that's to get you to disconnect and not think rationally and not look at the evidence that's showing states that have access to medical marijuana are showing fewer opiate overdoses, fewer opiate deaths, fewer opiate prescriptions. And we're starting to see medical evidence that the use of cannabis can stave off and help people that are dealing with the withdrawal effects from getting off of heroin. They want you to disconnect so you don't think of those things. So you're not aware that you're not considering the reality that if you're really upset about the opiate epidemic, you want to promote cannabis. You want there to be more cannabis use. Now, I believe that these these fear-mongering tactics, this gateway theory, this spiked marijuana stuff, this is the fear. This is the, 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 the first shot of fear to get you to stop thinking. And then they're going to back this up. Mark my words. This is what you're going to start hearing in the next couple of weeks. They're going to back this up by making the clear separation between medical and recreational marijuana. When they say, well, marijuana, you know, is the gateway drug. This kid started on marijuana. He led to heroin. We will naturally say, but look at the evidence showing medical marijuana access. That's when they'll cut us off. And they'll say, yeah, medical marijuana access. People who are in severe medical pain that are seeing doctors then don't have to use as much opiates, then aren't overdosing on opiates as much, right? If recreational and medical marijuana aren't mixing like you pop people say, then the recreational consumers aren't those pain patients, aren't those people seeing doctors, aren't those people needing to get off opiates, then are they? They're going to try as much as they can to separate that and point out that all those stats about opiates and the medical marijuana states are medical marijuana states. And it's going to be impossible for us to tease that out any other way because all of the states that have recreational marijuana have medical marijuana. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to separate this. And they're going to make it seem like, oh, sure, if you're a heroin addict and you're in a medical state or in your medical state and you're a pain patient and you need pain relief and you can get it from marijuana rather than opiates or marijuana helps you use less opiates, then it's medical and that's all good and we love it. But on the recreational side, it's when you start using marijuana that lead recreationally for fun when you're not in pain that leads you to to chase that high that then leads you to the heroin. They're going to say, we need to stomp out the recreational use to stop the gateway that leads to the heroin in the first place that they then need the medical cannabis to get off of. You see what I'm saying? And it's not going to be a hard game for them to play. If they play their cards right, they can turn this into a moral panic. And that's all it takes is one good moral panic to start rolling back a lot of the progress that we've made. So we need to start shaping our rhetoric to understand that reality, that when we mention states that have access to medical marijuana have less uh, opiate overdose, we need to take out the word medical. States that have legal access to marijuana have less opiate overdose. That's just one of the ways to reframe this debate and to keep in mind their goal is to separate us. 
They can't defeat the medical side. They know that. They've given up on it now. Even Asa Hutchinson, former DEA administrator, governor of Arkansas, has given in on medical. They're not so quick given on recreational. And they know if they can keep recreational separate, if they can paint us as just the libertine bohemians smoking pot to get high, some dirty dopers with a disgusting habit, that's going to be easier for them to attack than all of us that includes patients and recreational smokers. Podcast folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned live for Hour 2. I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you giant, you roll it.